Hello, 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 and welcome to the July episode of Now and Then, Flato Academy Theater. My name is Randy Reed, and I will be your host for the next little while, bringing you some interesting people and chatter about our beloved Academy Theater here in the city of Kawartha Lakes. First of all, July, happy Canada Day. My goodness gracious, 156 years young, and she still looks wonderful. We are so blessed. All you have to do is look around, and we are so blessed to live in this wonderful country. So happy Canada Day to you all. I want to start off, before we, before we bring you a conversation, I want to start off by giving you a little award. Uh, some of you will have, over your years, been to various functions that offer uh, door prizes. And one of the door prizes that's often given at certain events is to the person or people who have come furthest away to participate in the celebration. So I'm going to give a virtual door prize to my friend, Andy McNeely. Andy McNeely lives in Bali. Yes, that's right, the island of Bali. And he is a listener to our podcast, I found out this past week. And uh, I am so thrilled. Andy and I go way back. Andy was our first drummer when I was working with the Odyssey Project way, way back. And a wonderful guy, tremendous percussionist. And he is a music teacher over there in Bali. And uh, Andy, how are you? Nice to have you aboard. So that's our first little, little thing. I want to start with our conversation today by letting you hear from one of our favorites, uh, Ms. Claire Imrie. Claire and I go way back, too. Claire was in the original version of the Odyssey Project as well as a vocalist. She is a, uh, a teacher. She is an actress. She is so very talented, and she's one of the, uh, one of the key people in Triple Threat Theater. And I had uh, a chance to sit down with her and have a nice chat about their upcoming musical called Matilda. So here is Claire Imrie. Okay, I'm here with my friend Claire Imrie, and we are lucky enough to be in beautiful Halliburton right now, teaching at an arts camp put on by the Trillium Lakelands Board. And we're going to talk about um, Triple Threat Theatre. Tell us about Triple Threat. <laughs> I would love to. So, Triple Threat Theatre was born out of um, sort of a gap that came after John Thomas left. So John Thomas um, had a theater company called Quarth Lake Summer Playhouse, and I'm 31, and for as long as I can remember, they were sort of performing in town. It sort of took over from Quarth uh, the Summer Theater, if you will. And the one year, John, after we had done a, we had done Joseph with John, he decided that he wasn't going to return next summer. He was sort of going to take his talents and move on to another city. And uh, we thought, uh-oh, we've all caught the theater bug and now we've got nobody to do this. And so Stephanie Mackey um, owns the Lindsay Dance Studio and um, in combination with, with my family and with uh, uh, some other people thought, oh shoot, well, we gotta fill this void. We've got all these talented kids. We have this good thing going. So um, we thought we would start our own version of what was going on. And so that's sort of really how Triple Threat was born. It was or pretty organic and just um, out, of a, out of a want to make sure that that void in the community was full. 
Great. And what year do you think oh, was that? Give or take? Okay, so I would say probably 2008, 2009. Okay, so it's been around for a while. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah. And this so, summer you are doing? This summer we are doing, drumroll, Matilda, <laughs> which we're really, about, we're really excited about. Great. Tell us about the show. Okay, so uh, Matilda is, um, it was originally a movie. Of course, it was a novel. It's a Roald Dahl novel. Mm -hmm. And then the, the movie was, was almost as popular as the, as the book. And then it became a musical. And what, what I love about Matilda, I think most of all, is it sort of reminds you of the power of the underdog. Or the power of the little guy and I also think what's really special about the story of Matilda is that it reminds us that uh, even if your situation isn't great you have the ability to change your stars and to change your path and to, uh, to make things happen for you even if you're small tiny little girl like Matilda That's so Matilda, yeah she grows up she goes to school she's got a pretty yucky family but she finds her uh, her joy in the stories she makes that's great and all kinds of kids. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So we've got we just we just finished our casting process. So the auditions were so difficult. We had over forty young people audition. Wonderful. For like twenty less than twenty spots. Mm. So it was really hard to make those decisions. But we've got a cast of about uh, twenty five kids. Great. And another 10 adults or so, mm -hmm. and we're ready and raring to go. So we have our first cast meeting coming up soon. Super. Now, along with the actual show, I know that you run a camp for the kids. We do, yes. So that was another part of, of uh, the program that John Thomas used to offer is sort of these summer camps. My sister has, my sister Alana's been working there since she was 13. So a very long time, and uh, eventually we sort of took that gap over too. So Theater Arts Camp runs Monday to Friday, 8.30 to 4.30. And what we do is we put together a show in a week. So um, this year we're sort of doing stuff that is Disney themed. And then we've got one that's Broadway themed. Um, and that is really a great introduction for anybody into the arts. We always say that that theater arts camp is sort of like a training grounds for hopefully one day pursuing um, the actual triple threat productions. Absolutely. And tell us where um, they can get tickets for Matilda and when it will be cast or when it will be presented. For sure. So Matilda, I believe, opens July 28th. So uh, the Friday, it's the Friday night we're going to open in mm -hmm. July. Uh, tickets can be purchased through the Academy Theatre box office. I believe they're already on sale as we speak. Okay, that's great. Well, thank you, Claire. I appreciate your time. Well, thank you for making this happen. One of the great perks about doing this podcast is I have met some new friends. And one of the most important friends that I've had in the podcast business is my producer engineer, Warren Frank. And I'm here with Warren to find out a little bit more about his background and career. Warren, how are you? I'm doing well, Randy. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Tell us about what's going on. Yeah, my story here, um, I had just, I grew up around this area, you know, outside of Omimi on Old Mill Road. And I went to IU Wellness Secondary School and started a band a guitar class there that led me down the path of playing music all the time and recording music all the time and uh, learning how to record myself so that my friends and I could make demos and work on our music, which led me to my current role at BGC Kawarthas where I'm the music program supervisor. And 
I also do a lot of our studio facilitation, which means that if someone wants to come and say, start a podcast about the Academy Theater, I will be the person that is there helping them. And that has led to us working on this project. Yeah, that's great. And you've been so helpful. Um, I know that you were in a band called The Kents. Now your group is called Heaps. That's right. And you're on tour shortly with uh, your buddy Cassie. That's right. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, as we all grew up in Heaps, we, you know, we've all got full-time jobs now and we live in different areas. So that is kind of a, a less uh, prominent project for me now where I, I've been filling that void, you might say, with a solo project called Gamekeeper. Um, and I've been doing some touring and some writing and I'm going to the East Coast. And by the time this podcast comes back, I'll be back from the East Coast, which is really fun. Um, and I'm going with local legend, amazing person, phenomenal performer, Cassie Noble. And we're going to play as far as Newfoundland, where I've never been. So I'm very excited. Oh, you'll love it. It's yeah. one of my favorite places. One of my favorite places. Uh, where did Heaps come from? Tell me about that. Sure. So we, we performed mostly as the Kents. Uh, that was our calling card, really. Kent Street, of course. We thought that was fun. Um, and after a while, we had just found that these songs that we wrote at the tail end of our university career weren't as fulfilling to us anymore. Um, and people were getting frustrated that we weren't playing them. So we thought, okay, well, we don't want to, you know, we don't want false advertising. We should do a rebrand. Um, we had recorded a much more like alternative rock record. And so we decided to rebrand to the band uh, being called Heaps. And, and of course, we deliberated countless names. What can we do? What will be the cool choice? And we got so like deep into it and just almost went crazy that one day we heard somebody say the word heaps and we're like, oh, that'd be okay. And it was the first time all of us were like, sure, that works. So that was so it. So there's no great big deep story. There's or... no deep story. And I kind of love that. Um, yeah. And so we put out a couple uh, releases through that. Our most recent release, uh, Little Blue, I love. It's one of my favorite things we've ever made. So if you listen to Heaps, listen to Little Blue. Great. Thanks, Warren. You've been a great help. Thanks for having me. Okay, here we go. Uh, when I started this podcast, I knew that I needed to have a social media presence. And I knew nothing about that, how to approach it. So luckily, the Boys and Girls Club of Corth Lakes directed me towards a young fellow by the name of William again. And we are here with William, and we're going to find out more about him. Welcome, sir. Thank you so much, Randy. It's great to be finally be a part of an episode with you. <laughs> Tell us about your background. Well, um, I've grown up in Lindsay my whole life, and ever since I was three years old, I've wanted to do something in entertainment, especially bringing books to life. Um, actually, no, let me rephrase that. I started out with just writing adaptations of my favorite cartoons as a four-year-old um, felt like it was another way of telling the story and well now I have a ton of different books published and and some that I'm looking forward to traditionally publishing looking for an agent right now I've also been acting at the Lindsay Little Theater and Globus Theater for not too long just a year but I'm in my fourth production now so things are are like kicking off one by one. I'm also do communications for the Boys and Girls Club of Kawartha Lakes or BGC Kawarthas. I, I do a lot of our social media. I do a lot of our graphics. Um, 
I do a little bit of conversations between other companies. Um, and also I was approached by you, Randy, to help out with this podcast, um, help create some visuals, help, um, help introduce you on social media. Though I have to say, I think that you are doing an incredible job on Facebook and Instagram yourself whenever you have to. Well, that's great. Thank you very much. Um, you are such an interesting guy, and I, I really appreciated getting to know you. And uh, thank you for your time. Absolutely, Randy. Thank you. I love doing this podcast, and one of the reasons I love doing it is because I get a chance to talk to some friends. And one of my friends is Beth Wilson. Beth Wilson, for those of you who don't know, and I can't believe you don't know, um, is a really talented teacher, a really talented actress, a really talented director who um, took us through Susical last fall to uh, much rave reviews. And uh, we're here to talk about her past in the theater along with what's going on in the future with her. So welcome, Beth. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you can't feel the heat through the uh, podcast, but my face is pretty red right now. There are some pretty nice things to, uh, to say about me. <laughs> oh, much deserved. So you and I are both Niagara Falls alumni. Yes. Yeah. And um, tell me about your move here and how you first got involved with the Academy Theatre. Well, when I first moved here, I was a young 24-year-old recent graduate. Uh, from from Brock University and my my husband and his family have been here for quite a long time so uh, I can remember being introduced to Mark and my it was through my sister and she said he's from a, a small town called Lindsay and he drives a truck and I thought, oh what are, you, what are you getting me into here um, so we dated for quite a while through university and then I, I moved up here I got a job at Mariposa school um, on a teaching placement first and I as soon as I drove up here I fell in love with the place um, but one thing that was very hard was I was very lonely I knew I knew some people but not a lot of people and I just thought the best way to um, make connections and relationships would be through the theater so they were doing Anne of Green Gables so I auditioned for that and I, I just met some lovely people who I'm still friends with to this day and I, I'd like to think they they roped me in uh, to the theater but that was actually, uh, the, the lead in that was Sarah Repka, Sarah Reynolds. And my daughter babysat for her last week. Oh, so yeah. it was, yeah, it was really nice. And we got reminiscing and it's hard to believe that that was 23 years ago. So oh, that was in great. 2000. And yeah. how many shows since then do you think? Oh, that I've been in or uh, involved with? Yeah. I think maybe 15. Yeah. Wow, 15, that's wonderful. Yeah, 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 it's pretty exciting. And, um... <laughs> You not only um, are a talented and much loved teacher, um, but you um, you got involved in directing for the first time last year. Yes, and that was very exciting. I, I would say that was on my bucket list. I had done it at school mm -hmm. uh, many times, but it's just walking through those back doors of the academy and seeing the seats and just thinking, oh, can I, can I fill all those seats? And my kids were a very good encouragement to me. Uh, I, it was last summer I, I got asked, so things happened pretty quick. And, you know, I run things past my family and they both said, oh, all of your ideas, mom, like you can just, you can make them come to life. So with some very nice friends and some people who became very good friends through the process, we were able to make that come to life. So it is neat to have those, 
what creative process is, right? Have those initial ideas uh, in your head and then, wow, I'm, I'm going to try this and see if it happens. Can I make a, a, a Dr. Seuss piano? You know, <laughs> so mm -hmm. um, I actually have a lovely friend who this was new for her too. She's quite an artist and, and I thought her name's Cornet Lerm and she was in charge of the props. And I thought, I'm going to ask her. And she's like, I found my thing. I found, I found what I love to do. So, and, and part of it's kind of making magic Absolutely. happen on stage Absolutely. and, and meeting people too. Like I had known many people for many years, but to, to have an opportunity to work with, I wouldn't call leading it, but I would call work with everyone on that cast just was excellent. You know, they worked well together and it was just, it was it was fun to go into the theater three or four days a week. Like oh, it, absolutely. They made it you a really did such a great time. job. It was wonderful. <laughs> um, you've got a new project coming up in the fall. I do. What's going on? Um, well, like I said before in a conversation, I, I came and told my husband, I need a rotating peach. <laughs> Big. <laughs> and Mark, Mark just put his hands and said, oh, what are you doing? So we're going to do James and the Giant Peach. Um, he has been referred to as George and as Jacob. Jacob. That's what I've been calling him. Yeah, yeah I, I said to one friend, that's the lesser known brothers. <laughs> <laughs> but it's James and the Giant Peach, and it's a it's a book by Roald Dahl, who is also uh, the writer of Matilda, which um, friends are doing in the summertime. Mm -hmm. um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, which has been done before. So he writes very he writes very imaginative works, which I am fond of. Like I like going into the world of of make-believe kind of thing and making that come to life. So yeah, uh, James and the Giant Peach will be very fun. We've got some some parts for everyone and we really hope people come out. It's just, it's such a an experience to come out, even to an audition and, and step in front of the lights and you know, sing in front of the seats and people who might be sitting there watching. And their tradition of the fall show at the Academy wow. is sensational i mean it's just wonderful still there someone i was yeah. on the um little britain community website and a picture mm -hmm. popped up and it was this i mean the picture looked it was in black and white randy right. so the picture looked really old <laughs> and uh i don't know what year they did it but it was the music man which i was oh, yeah. also in with them yeah. um, sherry brenneman yeah. and uh I, I wish i knew the year it was from probably the 50s or 60s wow. but to think like it's mm -hmm. still going yeah like oh, the show is still yeah. going um, people from the community still coming together and and getting to make something for you know people to come and be entertained by and watch at a, at a pretty high caliber. Absolutely, you know? um, absolutely, yeah. We've both said we're from Niagara Falls. I I love Niagara Falls. I still go back to visit frequently. My my family still lives there, but in the time that I lived there, I I actually didn't see a whole lot like this that a that a small town can produce, yeah. which is exciting and yeah. of course in a in a special venue oh it's such an incredible yeah. place to um last year we were measuring the set i was there like my husband mark came and some guys from his business and, and ken emery mm -hmm. you know we were on the stage and we just kind of looked up and just think wow look up there yeah. <laughs> like it's it's yeah. wild and the stories that stage or behind stage yep. could tell oh i know and you know it's a it's a fun, I don't want to call it a creep. It's not a creepy vibe. It's a, it's an exciting vibe. But you just it think, is, absolutely. Oh, there's, some, yeah. there's some excitement here. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's great. I found, um, um, sorry, uh, um, the lovely lighting tech there took me up 
into the recesses of the building, which I had yeah. never been. I've been into the costume area, but I had never been into the lighting booth. Mm -hmm. um, and she was able to show me just wild pieces of history and signings on the wall. And, and again, looking at the theater from that perspective, you know, you're high up and you're from the back. And you think, how many greats have had Absolutely. a light shine on them from, Absolutely. from back yeah. here? Yeah. Cool. Marie Dressler and yeah. Groucho Marx yeah. and oh, on and on it goes. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you so much for doing this. You're welcome. We, yeah. um, full disclosure, this will not be played until the July episode. So your first set of auditions plus your callbacks will already be done mm -hmm. for James. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we look forward to kind of tracking that show and getting getting more and more involved yeah. as you get closer. And it's November, right? It is the last weekend of November. Super. Yeah. yeah. Beth Wilson, thank you so much. Thank you. I will say stay peachy. <laughs> <laughs> always great. Always great to chat with Beth. She is one of my favorite people. Very talented. Um, I'm going to tell you my favorite Beth story. A few years ago, uh, the Academy Theater presented a fall musical a production of Oliver. And I was invited by uh, Gary Schubert, who was the um, musical director of that show. I was invited to play in the pit band. And for the first time, the pit band, instead of being in front of the stage like it normally used to be, they put us downstairs in one of the old rooms down there, and they piped up to the stage area our music from the, the, uh, the pit band. And we had monitors down there where we could watch what was going on on stage. It was a very strange experience. However, things went off quite well. The pit band was wonderful, great experience. And Beth, Beth Wilson was in the show. She was one of the main female characters in the show. And she had one great big solo in the show. And she always just killed it every time she did it. She was just wonderful. So we're in production one night at the Academy and everything is going fine. And it comes time for Beth's big solo. She starts the song, and just after she starts, there's a huge thunderstorm that goes over top of the theater, and all the lights go off. Now, the pit band people, we all had battery-operated lights on our music stands, so we just kept playing. Gary Schubert kept conducting, and we just kept going. Even though we couldn't hear Beth, Beth couldn't hear us, and there was no lights at all. Anyway, we just kept plugging away, and the lights came back on just at the very end of her big solo, and she hit the note to finish off the song, and we hit the note exactly on cue, on time. It was absolutely wonderful, and she just kept singing through the whole thing while well, the audience went crazy, of course, for her to pile through that, that bizarre kind of um, episode on stage, but that'll just show you what kind of a pro Beth is. So thanks again, Beth. Always a pleasure to talk to you, and good luck with James and the Giant Peach, and we will talk again soon. Okay, we're back with our friend Ian McKechnie, and we are going to do kind of part two of Hi Me and one of the most important figures um, in the Academy Theatre history over the years. Um, just refresh our memory just a little bit about how High Mian came to be involved in the theatre. So High Mian um, was a local lad and uh, as, a, as a teenager he worked here, as a young adult he was um, briefly connected with another theatre, the 
the Lyceum Theatre, and later he joined Mr. W. H. Roenick in management here at the Academy. And by the 1920s, he'd become a part owner of the operation and was eventually the, the sole manager. So uh, during the 1920s, um, vaudeville was kind of being phased out and Jaime saw it as an opportunity to turn the building into a movie theater. Yes, so in the 1920s throughout North America and the United Kingdom, um, you had the emergence of large, what were called movie palaces. Uh, these were very ornate um, structures. Um, almost like cathedrals of cinema, if you can, uh, if you can put it that way. And uh, in 1931, um, Meehan commissioned a noted theater architect named H.G. Uh, uh, Dewar to undertake a complete renovation of the Academy's interior. On one of the first episodes of this podcast, we talked about how the Academy has transformed from its original design of the 1890s into what we know today. So when you walk into the auditorium here in 2023, um, what you're seeing by and large is a product of that 1931 renovation. Um, the look was probably what you could describe as art deco. So um, out were the late Victorian design elements uh, and in were exotic looking shapes, uh, elegant lines, enchanting color combinations, uh, those sort of faux columns on either side of the theater that are crowned with sort of, it's almost like a sunburst sort of mm -hmm. design. Yep. Um, all of that kind of came out of the, the Art Deco School of Architecture. Um, so the theater really is an amalgam of late Victorian, Richardsonian, Romanesque, and then when you get inside, it's sort of 1930s Art Deco. And this redesign was undertaken not merely to make improvements to the theater's technical infrastructure, although that was very important. Um, it was also really, um, I think, to bring the Academy into line with grand movie palaces, such as the Fox Theater in Detroit, and Shea's Hippodrome um, of Toronto, which is now sadly gone. And can we assume that that's when they took the uh, wraparound balcony out of the theater? Yes. Uh, if you look at um, pictures from the 1940s, I believe 1947 is one of the older pictures we have of the interior of the Academy. You can see the um, the arch, the proscenium arch, as it exists mm -hmm. now, the um, straight uh, balcony railing. Right. Um, and one of the important things, Randy, to be said about this redesign is it took place in 1931, uh, two years before the stock market had crashed. A lot of people were out of work. There was a lot of unhappiness and uncertainty in the world. And on opening night, when they uh, unveiled uh, the redesign, the mayor of Lindsay was in attendance and he pointed out, and I quote, we admire the theater and rightly so, but a thing more to be admired is the courage of manager Meehan, Hymian, in confidently facing the future with this magnificent work in the face of the hard times we are passing through. So the new look was in a way designed to lift people's spirits. And that's something I think we should 
um, think about whenever we come to the academy. Absolutely, absolutely. I've I've said this many times already during these during these episodes, but every time I walk into this building, there's something that comes over me. I I can't explain it. I can't put it in words, but it's important to me to be here on a regular basis. And um, Jaime has certainly certainly been a big part of that going forward. Thank you, Ian. I appreciate your time as always. Thank you. All right, I'm here with our next guest, uh, Mr. Jim Higgins. Jim has a long and rich history with the Academy Theatre, and we're looking forward to, uh, to chatting with him. And we met in his uh, lovely home here in Lindsay. And Jim, thank you for your time. Oh, well, listen, I'm quite honored that you'd call me to want to do this interview. And it sure got my mind rolling backwards back to the the, the wonderful days that I remember at the Academy with the country music shows. Well, that's great. And tell me how you got involved originally. Well, my involvement in country music started when I had a cable television program every Wednesday night on cable 10 television. And then it was uh, called syndicated out to Peterborough for Thursday nights and, and etc. But anyway, um, so I always had a good knowledge of country music. And, you know, when you bought the albums, there was always liner notes on the entertainers. So I guess that I'd read it and, and memorize it and talk with the artists and play their music. And I was like, what videos are today, I was like, still videos. But anyway, that's how um, I got started. And then I went to the, to the radio station for uh, four years doing Saturday Night Country Classics for one hour. Um, well, my, my friend, uh, Danny McDonnell, uh, he has since passed on. Uh, we used to have coffee a lot during the week and we got uh, tossing it around and he said, Jim, you know, we should start up a country music show. There's no country music shows much coming into Lindsay. There was lots of summer theater and everything else at that time. Uh, it was great. Uh, so I said, well, you mean just put like one show on? What are you looking at? And Danny said, well, maybe you try one show, but maybe it'll end up being more. So we kind of tossed it around and we knew it was going to cost money. So we and went down to the Academy Theater and uh, Ray Marshall was the manager and uh, Ray um, thought it was a great idea and he said well I'll book you in for uh, every second Sunday because you know if we're going to do a show the first show was uh, and then he uh, was going to be every was the first second Sunday of the month and this was how we were planning it and we would start in October and we would go until June so he booked us ahead two or three months just to make sure we had that second Sunday right and we'll see how the first show goes if we're going to continue and so anyway, the moral of the story is Dan and I decided, well, we'll go for it. We took out some of our own money and went down and we paid so much down because the rent was rent. And so in, uh, we decided that, you know, we got all this advertisement, the radio to let people know I can only do so much on the cable because it's nonprofit. So I got to watch what I say as if though I wasn't advertising. So we started going to businesses around Lindsay and out of the, we did 20, we made 22 stops. It took us about three weeks to visit all these sponsors and not one of them turned us down. Wow. They, they came on, uh, uh, on the program. So we did have money then behind us. So we took off and, uh, we, uh, booked a country music band out of Kingston. Uh, and we added Diane Lee, who was with Carl Smith's show for years at CFTO. She was a headliner and she came in and and uh, and the band uh, Shiloh from um, Kingston uh, backed her up, and then we had local and area talent, and we always had a fiddle player, either 
Glenn Warburton or Ross Morrow and whatever. And so uh, the first show sold out. We were turning people away. Oh, so we knew we were already going for the second show uh, the following month. But you know when you're booking entertainment, you just can't give them a week's notice or two weeks notice. Right. Yeah. And we were lucky because it was a Sunday night. Our shows were always Sunday night. So we booked, when we knew that this was going to be successful, we started booking like four to five months ahead. And that way, we could I, we could phone up all these entertainers and pre-book them. Right. And they say, sure, we'll send you the contract, whatever. So we were always booked for three or four months ahead. And we could always advertise uh, if we started in, uh, say, October was success successful. And then November, we could have who was going to be on the December show. Exactly. And you know something? On people on the way out would buy tickets. We'd be half sold out for the December show during the November show yeah, at the great. box office. Yeah. So uh, it just took off. It was, uh, we uh, we were really amazed. That's uh, great. And we, you know, over a cup of coffee, it's amazing what can happen over a cup of coffee, which <laughs> happened to Danny and I. That's right. And if Dan, if you're listening up there in heaven, <laughs> you've probably got a big smile on your face. Yeah. And, but, um, so now you started in 1985 1985 and went how long uh we went from 85 to 95. good for you so that was basically the same the same time period as the summer theater was going and you would come in right after the theater yes we, for that yes season. we would we would come right in after the summer theater and, and uh, other events were going on not, right. not a whole lot but the summer theater was the main attraction there wasn't sure. too many shows like ours coming in right now you have all these tribute shows coming in all the time you know yeah. and, uh, and that's great too. Um, another thing we decided too, I'm just going back to uh, the design of our stage. We went to Beaver Lumber and we talked to the manager at Beaver Lumber at the time they were down here at the end of uh, Kent Street. Yeah, yeah. And we told them what we were doing and how much would it cost to build a replica like the Grand Ole Opry but smaller. So he thought it was a great idea. And they became sponsors after too. But yeah. anyway, uh, uh, they we designed the barn and the long railing, and it says Lindsay's Grand Ole Night of Country Music on both sides. And oh, it was just it was just so beautiful. So they put it together. We painted it red and white. They had the lettering. We had a person come in to do the lettering on the on the on the boards yeah. of the fence. And uh, so Ray said, we can store that here for you. And one thing about it, the barn that's like the Opry barn was came in two pieces so right. all we had to do is just click them together right. for each show and we had a nice storage area so there's no big hassle over oh where are we going to put all this stuff but anyway uh that was just something to see and the people come in they're really amazed when the curtain opened and oh my god we we're like down in nashville at the grand <laughs> old opry the old ryman auditorium yeah. or the new grand old opry well yeah. uh, the new one now that is yeah. so um we did. We used to um, spotlight a lot of our own Canadian country music artists, like Johnny Burke, Harold McIntyre, Terry Sumption, mm -hmm. and and they would come in. And the agreement was when we wanted to book them, that they had to back up the special guests and the artists that we had. Right. And there was no problem with that whatsoever. And the same uh, after we got going for about three or four years, we decided to try the grand, uh, do a little bit of dip and and to the Grand Ole Opry entertainers, which, mm -hmm. you know, we all grew up with listening to. Sure. So we had Mac Wiseman come in every year. He came in March. Mark, Mac was like a bluegrass country singer, beautiful voice. Um, we Then we had Stonewall Jackson. We had the, the late and the great Bobby Helms. And we yeah. used to have Bobby for two years. We had Bobby in 1994 in 
our 93 and 94 to do our Christmas show because Jingle Bell Rock oh, is still a classic, you know, course, sold like 125 yeah. million records today. Yeah. And then he had My Special Angel and Fraulein. He had yeah. a lot of hits. So him and his group would come up from, um, he lived in Martinsville, Indiana. So they would come up and do our show and pick up a couple of jobs on the way down sure. in the States. Yeah. So um, that was very successful. Um, we, we just had, uh, uh, it was something different. And the nice part about it being so different, we caught on all over Ontario. And like I was mentioning uh, before, Randy, that um, we'd have people come uh, from the Niagara, St. Catharines area and stay overnight at the Red Carpet Inn and eat here and then go home. Uh, they go home after the show or leave Monday morning to go back. Yeah. And they said, well, we don't have to travel down to Nashville, the Grand Ole Opry. We got it right up here, <laughs> you know, uh, with an hour and a half drives. Sure. So uh, they used to come from Kingston and... Um, and then we started a few busloads uh, with Trentway Wagner down in uh, Peterborough. There oh, yeah. used to be a busload, not every show, but once in a while they would book a busload right. of seniors for seniors that come in. Yeah. And that went over very well. But they, were, they weren't reserved seats, you know. Yeah. And people, you wouldn't believe it. We uh, opened the doors at 6.30 and the show started at 7. And my God, they'd be outside the foyer would be full and they'd be outside right around the Academy Theater because a lot of people <laughs> wanted the same seats month oh, yeah. after month. Yeah. And some of the ladies, well, we sometimes was open long before a half an hour, depending on like in the wintertime, it was cold, Ray would open at maybe six yeah. o'clock. But I remember some of the women coming in with their knitting and they'd get their favorite <laughs> seats and they'd sit there knitting before the show started. And, all that stuff. and it just became like um, we knew everybody because, you know, and we got to know everybody from family. different areas, family yeah. and yeah. uh it, the music back then, Randy, what I liked about it, and it's a shame that it never changed. Back when Jim Reeves and uh, all these great singers that we grew up, Porter Wagner and Johnny Cash, they all had a style. And you knew them before they sang. You knew the intro. Yes. Oh, that's Jim Reeves going to sing, or yeah. that's Stonewall, or yeah. Ray Price, Fair and Young, you know. Yeah. And uh, now, a lot of the music today, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not criticizing it. I know time does change everything. But a lot of the music today is so repetitious. Yes, uh, it's hard to know one singer from another. Yes, and I agree. And they put a lot of rock into country now, and yeah, and uh, so. But anyway, that's the way it go goes. But yes, we had a great time um, uh, performing uh, shows at the uh, at the beautiful Academy Theater. Because no matter where you went. Uh, even down in Nashville, the artists say, oh, yeah, I, I played in Tommy Hunter's show back in 1960. They started in 1965, Country Holiday, CBC yep. Country Holiday. Yep. And I was there every Friday night, and I got to be where they let me backstage. I got yep. to meet Sonny James and Mac Wiseman, Fair and Young. And little did I know, uh, I was only about 17 or 18 at that time, I was going to be having those guys because they up. were getting you know, back doing our shows sure. at, the, at the Academy Theater. Yeah. So I, I, I firmly believe that your life is set up for you. Exactly. And it exactly. is, such as yourself. Yeah. Um, but that's, um, oh, another thing. Uh, do you remember the Donut World? It used to be the Donut World. Okay, yes. Uh, there mm -hmm. was one down just by White's, yeah. right off of Kent yeah. Street, or mm -hmm. uh, Russell Street. And then right. there was one up the top of Kent Street, across from the Bell Store. Yeah. And the owner of there, he would put on two extra girls, the staff, the night we did our show. We were more than a two, we were about a three hour show. We started at seven. We were lucky to get out of there by 10, 30, 11 o'clock. <laughs> That's how good it was. We had yeah. two halves. We always had a 15 or 20 minute break. Right. But uh, after the show, there was nobody to go, right? Nowhere to go. So he stayed open purposely the oh. night of our show and it'd be full. And even the stars would go over there. So 
they'd be sitting there and they'd be over wanting their autographs. So he, uh, <laughs> it, it, was, it was just amazing, you know, that we had that after the show. Yeah. A one-on-one -on -one all the way across. There. Absolutely. So that's anyway, wonderful. go ahead. That No, I mean, that's wonderful. That's all I wanted to know. And I appreciate your time and stories and it's just tremendous to hear about all these uh, things that went on at the theaters. So. Well, you know, you got me reminiscing. I feel like I'm back in that time now, <laughs> which is a good feeling, right? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you again. And uh, you will hear, hear Jim in uh, the July episode. And I uh, thank you very much for your time. Well, I hope I did okay for you. You've done good. <laughs> thank you very much. just about do it for our July episode of Now and Then, Flato Academy Theatre. My name is Randy Reed, and thanks again to our production staff, Warren Frank and William McGinn, and Renee Frank way out in BC. Um, always a pleasure to talk to you, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. The theatre is very quiet this summer, so there won't, be, um, there won't be a lot of advertising going on for upcoming events, but don't forget, Matilda the big musical being produced by Triple Threat Theatre, so make sure you get your tickets for that. Take care, and we will talk to you next month. And don't forget, please support the arts. It's important. <laughs>